Well, good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke 23, where we were this morning. We're going to jump back in there. There's a part of this passage that I want to emphasize that I just didn't have time to get to this morning. So we're going to look at it tonight, and I believe it's a great, I believe it's a great lead-in to the Lord's Supper. So hopefully it will uh, get us thinking uh, deeply about, about Christ. And to kind of preface what I'm going to say, uh, last night I was with my family and um, my daughter, my four-year-old, was playing with, uh, with an Easter basket and Claire didn't want her to break it. She wanted her to keep it together for you know, Easter and the different things, activities coming up. And so she said, don't, don't, don't break it. And she kind of kept playing with it. And, and Claire said, she said, if, if you break that Easter basket, you're not getting another one. Then she added the word, tonight. And I said, ooh, playing hardball. It's like, you can't have, imagine you're without an Easter basket, so not tonight, but tomorrow we'll go get you one. And uh, I laughed at that. And, and I, thought, I thought, started thinking about my kids. And, you know, our kids really don't know how good they have it, do they? I mean, they really don't know how good they have it. But did you know it, it's the same in our relationship with God? I think we don't really understand, as Christians, how good we have it. We don't understand the implications of what it means to be born again. And tonight we're going to look at one of those implications, and, and hopefully we'll just be amazed as we dig into the Scripture and see what uh, God has to say to us um, tonight. So look there with me in Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 44. The Bible says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And, watch this, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, I really wanted to talk to you this morning about the curtain in the temple being torn in two, but I didn't have time. And so tonight, I want us to think about what that means, that the curtain in the temple structure in Jerusalem was torn in two at the time of Jesus' death on the cross. And if you think this wasn't a, a striking Phenomenon. You need to understand what the temple curtain was all about. When God gave the nation of Israel instructions as to how to build a tabernacle, a, a portable structure that they would uh, set up and take down as they traveled throughout the wilderness, He gave them very precise instructions about the holy place which would house the uh, table of showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense. He gave them the 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 the, the different dimensions of that holy place. But then he said, at the back of the holy place, there needs to be a veil, a curtain. And he gave them instructions as to how to make this curtain. And behind the curtain was another room called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so that's the, the, the curtain, that's the veil. And when Solomon built a more 
uh, permanent structure that resembled the uh, setup of the tabernacle, they put up a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And when it was rebuilt in Herod's day, the temple, they had this curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two. And let me just tell you about the dimensions of this curtain in the first century. This curtain was about 60 feet high. Think about that. 60 feet high, about 30 feet wide, and Josephus records it was a hand's breadth wide. So about probably four inches thick. That's how, that's how big this curtain was. 60 by 30 Four to five inches in thickness. That is a big curtain. And can you imagine being in the temple structure on that Passover day as Jesus Christ was dying on the cross? Can you imagine being a priest doing ministry perhaps in the holy place? And all of a sudden, about three in the afternoon, this 60 by 30 curtain, four to five inches thick, rips in two from top to bottom. Do you think that would get your attention? Do you think that would be startling? It would absolutely be startling. And the meaning behind why it was torn in two is even more startling. So I want to give you three thoughts about the temple being torn in two. First of all, we learn some important information. As we study it, we learn some important information about this temple uh, curtain and its meaning. As a matter of fact, turn over to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into this curtain. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Now, even the first covenant... That's the, the, the covenant under Moses, nation of Israel, the Old Testament, uh, sacrificial system, civil law, and moral law. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. In other words, there was a place prescribed by God that was the centerpiece of worship for God's people, the nation of Israel. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain, that's the temple curtain, the veil that was torn in two, behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, the holy place, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes. How often? He but once a year, and not, it says, Without taking blood, which he offers for himself, because he was a sinner, and for the unintentional sins of the people. So we get some insight into how this holy place and holy of holies, how this structure was used in worship. There was one day of year, uh, one day of the year, the the Day of Atonement. You might hear it called Yom Kippur in our uh, modern times, 
was a day when the holy, um, I'm sorry, the high priest was allowed to go on behalf of the people into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and take blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat uh, as a, a picture of the people's need for atonement. Uh, every time the Day of Atonement happened, the people were reminded that they were guilty and innocent animals had to die for their guilt. Blood had to be shed. And without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. They understood they could not relate to God if it were not for the shedding of blood. Now, of course, the Bible is clear in Hebrews 10 that the shedding of bulls and goats and calves cannot save. These simply pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All of the sacrificial system foreshadowed the death of Jesus on the cross. But they understood, we can't go behind that curtain into the presence of God. None of us can, except the high priest, only once a year. And he must take blood with him, or he will be struck dead. As a matter of fact, did you know that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around his ankle, just in case things weren't quite right between him and God. So if God struck him dead, they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies without having to go in and get him, and more people being struck dead. That's the real deal, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that the high priest would have bells on their garment. And one of the reasons behind that is so that they could hear that he was still moving around. And if, you heard, and if the bells stopped moving, it's time to start pulling the rope out, right? And so this was a big deal to go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Only one person, once a year, the high priest could do that. Now... Why the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place, which is separated from the rest of the tabernacle or temple structure? Well, let me just give you three thoughts very quickly. First of all, the curtain represents separation from God. The curtain represents separation from God. The curtain was a reminder to the priesthood, a reminder to the people of Israel. You cannot just run into the presence of God. You're a sinner. And your sin separates you from God. And that that is a fundamental truth that we need to understand. If we don't understand this truth, we'll never grasp how wonderful the cross is. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin makes a separation between us and a holy God. God is perfect. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And when we sin, it separates us from God. There's a a barrier, if you will, of impurity between us and God. So we cannot have a relationship with him. We cannot enjoy his blessings and his benefits. We cannot come into his presence. And the curtain was this visual reminder that you are sinners separated from a holy God. That's what that curtain represented. You, You can't come into God's presence Because you are so sinful. But we also see that the curtain, back in Luke, and by the way, Matthew and Mark record this as well, the curtain was torn in two, and it says it was torn in two, listen to this, from top to bottom. God wanted them to understand that this tearing of the curtain is not man, this is not man's doing. God was doing this from top to bottom. What does it mean that God tore the curtain in two from top to bottom? Well, it signified or represented the fact that God was providing the initiative in in offering us salvation. The fact that God tore the curtain in two was showing, hey, God is the one who is granting us access, granting us salvation, making a way for us sinners 
to come into his presence. So the tearing of the veil from top to bottom signified God's initiative in our salvation. And can I just tell you this? If you're saved tonight, the only reason you're saved is because God initiated his work in your life. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. And the Bible says that no man, John 6, can come to God unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him first. So before you came to Christ, you were being drawn by God and you responded to God's initiative. You responded to God's drawing in your life. And the tearing of the curtain from top to bottom signifies God's initiative in providing a way to have a relationship with Him. But also it's significant that this happened at the very moment that Jesus died on the cross. What does this signify? That the the, the, the curtain was torn at the moment of Jesus' death. It represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which gives us access to God. The, the death of Jesus at Calvary is the way to have a relationship with God. Now look over in Hebrews chapter 10 with me. I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, we have confidence to come now into the presence of God by the blood of who? Jesus. Watch this. By the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So it compares the the broken body of Jesus to the curtain which was torn in two. It tells us there that the curtain represented his flesh that was torn, broken, sacrificed for us. And so, in a manner of speaking, Jesus' broken body and shed blood, which we're going to remember together in a moment, is the curtain that was torn in two that gives us access to God. And so Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, His shedding of blood for us, His death for our sins, becomes the only way to have access to the presence of God. The only way to have a relationship with God. And in our religious, pluralistic culture, it bears repeating. Listen to me. There is only one way to be saved. And I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. He's not a way. He is the way. He's not a good way. He's the only way to be saved. And if you hear anyone say that there is more than one way to God, if you hear anyone say that there are many paths to God, if you hear anyone say that it doesn't matter which faith you choose, they all get you to the same place, they are lying to you. That is unbiblical. That is untrue. There's only one way to be saved. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to stand on that truth and declare that truth because people are dying and going to hell and they're believing lies. There's only one way. And His, His death on the cross, his, the tearing of His body is pictured in the tearing of that curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. So let me say it like this. Upon his death, access to God became available to all. 
Anyone that embraces Christ can experience now access to God, a relationship with a holy God, intimacy with a holy God, friendship with a holy God. They can experience the fatherhood of a holy God because Jesus died for our sins. And when we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we have peace with God. We're justified by faith. In other words, the shed blood of Jesus is applied to our spiritual account and his blood washes away our sins. So they're no longer there between us and God. Now we can run into the presence of God and know that he will welcome us as his children. That's all pictured in the tearing of the curtain from top to bottom. So as we study this, we learn some important information which gives us some needed motivation. I don't want to just leave you with information tonight. This information should motivate us. It should inform our Christian life and our daily walk. What kind of motivation does this give us? Well, first of all, It gives us motivation to draw near to God. Look what he says in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is Jesus, look in verse 22, let us draw near. Now that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, now that Jesus Christ has paid it all, now that Jesus Christ has made a way, let us draw near. This certainly speaks of embracing Christ as your Savior so you can enter into a personal relationship with God. But I believe it also speaks of the need for Christians to take advantage of that relationship. Now that you can spend time in the presence of of the God of the universe, draw near. Turn over to Hebrews 4. I want to show you another verse that speaks of this. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Look what it says in verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's a sermon in and of itself. Verse 16, watch this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what it's saying there? Now that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to come into the presence of God, come into his presence with your request. Come to his throne of grace to find mercy and help in times of need. This evening at 5.30 we had the the front open for prayer time and I got to pray with several folks. Other staff members prayed with several folks. And you know what we were doing tonight? We were coming to the throne of grace to find His mercy, to find His help. Bringing His power and His wisdom to bear on different circumstances that people are dealing with in their life. And that is our privilege, is it not? Because the curtain's been torn in two, because Jesus Christ shed His blood to make a way, now we can go into the presence of God, listen, anytime we want to, and stay as long as we want to. Question, is your prayer life Worthy of the shed blood of Christ. Do you take advantage of the access we have to God? 
Do you go spend time in his presence? Unhurried time with him, talking to him, praising him, getting right with him, interceding for others, asking God to meet needs in your life. Do you draw near? When we think about the curtain in the temple being torn into, it motivates us to draw near to God. It's available. Why don't we spend more time in the presence of God? Listen to me. You can go into the Holy of Holies now anytime you want to. And stay as long as you want to. You don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. You don't have to wait for the Day of Atonement. You don't have to wait for Sunday. You can go into God's presence anytime you want to. Wow. Wow. A couple weeks ago, we were in staff meeting. We got a text telling us that the new car wash in town had a, a free day. They were trying to work out the kinks. And, and we heard, hey, free car washes today. So you know what I did? I got in my truck and I went to the car wash place. I got my free car wash. It was great. I went to the, the little uh, check-in place, and the lady said, we're trying to work out kinks, and so the car wash is on us today. And I said, well, thank you very much. And I went through the free car wash. It was great. I heard it was available. You know what I did? I took advantage. Now listen to me. You've been reminded tonight that the curtain's been torn in two. That intimacy in the presence of God is available. Will you take advantage Will you spend time with Him? Will you draw near to Him? So this reality motivates us to draw near. But secondly, it motivates us to share good news. To share good news. Listen, people need to know that the curtain's been torn in two. They need to know there is a way to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God, and it's through Jesus Christ And it's our job, our calling, our responsibility to tell them, right? The curtain's been torn in two. We've got to tell. And to illustrate this, let me share with you uh, an illustration. This comes from John Phillips' commentary on the book of Hebrews. And just kind of sit back and relax for a minute. I want you to hear this powerful illustration of what it would have been like to be an outsider to be from another nation watching the Israelites worship at the tabernacle. And I want to apply that to the message that we get to share with the lost and dying world. Listen to what Phillips writes. Imagine with me a Moabite of old gazing down upon the tabernacle of Israel from some lofty hillside. This Moabite is attracted to what he sees, so he descends the hill and makes his way toward the tabernacle. He walks around this high wall of dazzling linen until he comes to a gate. And at the gate, he sees a man. May I go in there? He asks, pointing to the gate where all the bustle of activity in the tabernacle's outer court can be seen. Who are you? demands the man suspiciously. I'm from Moab, the man replies. Well, I'm very sorry, but you can't go in there. You see, it's not for you. The law of Moses has barred the Moabite from any part in the worship of Israel until his tenth generation. The Moabite looked so sad and said, Well, what would I have to do to go in there? You would have to be born again, the gatekeeper replies. You would have to be born an Israelite, 
of the tribe of Judah or of the tribe of Benjamin or Dan. Oh, I wish I'd been born an Israelite, the Moabite says. And as he looks again, he sees one of the priests having offered a sacrifice at the brazen altar. And the priest cleanses himself at the brazen laver. And then the Moabite sees the priest enter the tabernacle's interior. What's in there? asked the Moabite. Inside the main building, I mean. Oh, the gatekeeper says. That's the tabernacle itself. Inside it contains a lampstand, a table, and an altar of gold. The man you saw was a priest. He will trim the lamp, eat of the bread upon the table, and burn incense to the living God upon the golden altar. Ah, sighs the Moabite. I wish I were an Israelite so that I could do that. I would so love to worship God in there and help to trim the lamp and offer him incense and eat bread at that table. Oh no, the gatekeeper hastens to say. Even I could not do that. To worship in the holy place, one must not only be born an Israelite, one must be born of the tribe of Levi and of the family of Aaron. The man from Moab sighs again. I wish that I had been born of Israel of the tribe of Levi of the family of Aaron. And then as he gazes wistfully at the closed tabernacle door, he says, What else is in there? The gatekeeper says, Oh, there's a veil. It's a beautiful veil, I'm told, and it divides the tabernacle in two. Beyond the veil is what we call the most holy place, the holy of holies. What's in the holy of holies? The Moabite asks. Well, there's the sacred chest in there, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. It contains holy memorials of our past. It's top, it's gold, and we call that the mercy seat because God sits there between the golden cherubim. Do you see that pillar of cloud hovering over the tabernacle? That's the Shekinah glory cloud. It rests on the mercy seat, said the gatekeeper. Again, a look of longing comes over the face of the Moabite man. Oh, he said, if only I were a priest. How I would love to go into the Holy of Holies and gaze upon the glory of God and worship Him there in the beauty of His holiness. Oh no, said the man at the gate. You couldn't do that even if you were a priest. Only the high priest can enter the most holy place. Only he can go in there. Nobody else. The heart of the man from Moab yearns once more. Oh, he cried, if only I had been born an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. If only I'd been born a high priest, I would go in there every day. I would go in there three times a day. I would worship continually the Holy of Holies in the Holy of Holies. The gatekeeper looked at the man from Moab again and once more shook his head. Oh no, he said, you couldn't do that. Even the high priest of Israel can go in there only once a year. And then only after the most elaborate preparations, and even then only for a little while. Sadly, the Moabite turned away. He had no hope in in all the world of ever entering the Holy of Holies. Well, guess what? Now we have the amazing privilege of going to Moabites and Asians and Africans and, and people in the Middle East and people in South America and people in Central America and people in Europe and people all over the world and let them know 
that the veil has been torn in two. You can now have access to the very presence of the God of the universe because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's really a remarkable message. And we get the opportunity to go and share that message with a lost and dying world. There is a way to have a relationship with God. There is a way to be saved. And that way is Jesus Christ. Amen? So this... This tearing of the, the veil in the temple motivates us to draw near and motivates us to share good news. But let me give you one final thing. We learn some important information which gives us needed motivation which leads finally to joyous celebration. Look in Hebrews 13 very quickly. The writer of Hebrews has been dealing with the implications of the old and the new covenant. What it means that Jesus Christ has died to make a way And look at this this conclusion he comes to in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him then, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. If Jesus Christ did indeed die on the cross if the temple veil was indeed torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that now there is a way to have a relationship with God. Shouldn't shouldn't that lead us to offer God a sacrifice of praise? Shouldn't that cause in your life and my life Joyous celebration. Can you imagine this Moabite that we just read about? Can you imagine him showing up to a church in 2015? Kind of watching us go through the, the different things we go through in our, in our religious structure, our, our, our worship in our small groups and our activities and our programs and... And I wonder if they would walk away from watching us worship and watching us serve, saying, those folks are joyous. Those folks can't get over the fact that they get to go into the Holy of Holies. They are overwhelmed with gratitude that they have a relationship with God made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Would, would someone look at your life, would someone look at my life and say, they are excited about Jesus? Would they? The fact that the curtain's been torn in two should lead us to joyous celebration. So tonight, we're going to celebrate. So we think about the the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, we are reminded that, that His flesh was, was torn, like the, like the curtain was torn to give us access to God. Jesus died to give us access to God. And I want you to remember that as we celebrate the cross tonight.